Um, all right, so we're going to get into Joshua 12. I just have kind of a, um, a short, short message today. Three things I want to say about Joshua 12. Um, it's interesting, you know, when you go to it and you read it, and it's like, what? You know, like, what, what am I supposed to get from this? You know, it's just kind of a list of, of these different, you know, peep kings that were defeated. And, and what's going on here? Like, what's happening in Joshua 12? Um, the thing I've, you know, discovered is that the word of God, like, there's something in it that you can get out of any part of the word of God. There's no wasted, this isn't like filler, you know. Uh, it's not like, well, Joshua's got to be, you know, 20-something chapters long to sell enough copies, so let's just write another chapter. That's what they do in the publishing industry. I used to work in, in, in printing. And you, your book would have to be a certain number of pages long. Otherwise, it's just, you can't sell it for $25.99 at Barnes & Noble. It's not what's happening here in Joshua. This isn't just filler. This is for a reason. It's here for a reason. And so let's go to Joshua 12, uh, 1 to 6, and let's see what we can um, uh, find here. Now, these are the kings of the land whom the Israelites defeated and drove from their land on the east side of the Jordan, from the Arnon Valley to Mount Hermon, including all the eastern Rift Valley. All right, now there are two kings that are going to be mentioned here. first one is King Sion of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, ruled from Aurora, including the city in the middle of the valley and half of Gilead, all the way to the Jabbok Valley, bordering Ammonite territory. All right, so King Sion, and then the second king is in verse 4, the territory of King Og of Bashan, one of the few remaining Rephites who lived in Ashtaroth and Edrei, and ruled over Mount Hermon. And then verse 6 says, Moses, the Lord's servant, and the Israelites defeated them, and Moses, the Lord's servant, assigned their land to Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Um, the writer of Joshua brings up two kings here, um, Sion of the Amorites and Og of Bashan. It's really interesting because these kings didn't rule in the promised land. Okay, so Joshua and the people of Israel are in the promised land. All these kings were defeated. We're halfway through the book. They're kind of taking a breather, taking a rest. Okay, let's catch our breath. Let's just take stock of everything that's happened. And, and as they do that, they're writing about these two kings that were defeated that aren't even in the promised land. And they weren't from Canaan, and they were defeated a long time ago by somebody else, by Moses, when he was in charge. Back in Numbers 21-24, it talks about how they were defeated by Moses. The Israelites defeated him in battle, took possession of his land from the Arnon to the Jabbok, for the border of the Ammonites was strongly defended. So that was Sion. And even later in, in uh, King David's Psalms, you find these kings again. It's kind of like these stories were told over and over again. Psalms 135, verse 10. He defeated many nations and killed mighty kings. Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. So what are they doing here? You know, why are they in chapter 12? Well, these two kings were defeated east of the Jordan River. Not in the promised land. On the other side, before they crossed the Jordan. And a few Israel tribes remained. Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. The other half went over to the promised land. And it's like God saying, you know, as you claim, as you lay claim to the promised land, don't forget your brothers and sisters across the river. They're my people as well. You are one people. And how easy it is to forget that God's miraculous intention for the church is Holy Spirit-inspired unity. And Jesus prayed for this. He prayed for us that we would be one. He prayed for his disciples in John 17, verse 21, that they will all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. 
I pray that they will be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. That this unity that is Holy Spirit inspired is critical to our testimony in the world. What is the impact of us being unified, being together in Christ? What's the result? So the world will believe that you sent me. Isn't that something? The authenticity of Christ's power and ministry understood to the world, God said that's dependent on how unified we are. And the Holy Spirit is what holds us together in one spirit. The body of Christ is not one member, but many different kinds of members, right? It's like we read about uh, some months back in 1 Corinthians. And let's not forget that God's kingdom is much larger than my own life, much larger than your own life. That God's kingdom is a lot bigger than Lighthouse. God's kingdom is a lot larger than my own experience. God's kingdom transcends uh, the challenges of our own country. His kingdom is greater. His kingdom is larger. His kingdom has other concerns. And God's reminding Israel in Joshua 12, don't forget about your other brothers and sisters on the other side of the river. They belong to me as well. Don't forget about these others who live in different places geographically, who have different life circumstances, who are, uh, maybe are of a different tribe than you are. Here in Joshua, they were literally different tribes. And we know God's kingdom is much larger than a lot of the walls we put in place ourselves, between each other. God is much larger than theological debates like Calvinist versus Arminianists or, or Charismatics versus liturgical or, or pre-tribulation versus mid-tribulation or yes, even Democrat versus Republican. God's bigger than that. God's kingdom is not limited to those boundaries. God's kingdom transcends that. And Israel could have disowned their brothers and sisters across the River Jordan. They could have said, hey, you have no part in the promised land. You have no part in the kingdom of God. But in fact, these tribes of, of Reuben and Gad and Manasseh, they were worried about just such a thing happening to them. And so in Joshua, Israel is reminded that though they lived in different places geographically, they were from different tribes, they belonged to God's family. And that means something. You know, so often God's doing things around the world that we aren't even aware of. Sometimes I feel like, you know, God is a master chess player and we're trying to figure out Candyland. You know, how do you do this? Ah, Candyland, it's so frustrating. Life is so frustrating. God's doing like incredible things we don't even comprehend. We're not even aware of. And we don't control it. And we don't see the end from the beginning. But you know who does? God does. In Isaiah 46, 9, 10, verses 9 and 10, this is what God says. Remember, remember what I accomplished in antiquity. Truly I am God. I have no peer. I am God, there's none like me, who announces the end from the beginning and reveals beforehand what has not yet occurred, who says my plan will be realized and I will accomplish what I desire. Isn't that incredible? What a statement full of hope. God says, my plan will be realized. And this is juxtaposed against our often short-term thinking. Look at this in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. And we know, you know, in Corinth, Corinth was famous for making mirrors. And back then, 
they didn't have glass. They would polish bronze. And so imagine looking at yourself, looking at your reflection in polished bronze. How clear would that be? Not great. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Paul says, you know, that's kind of how, how we live in our lives right now. We see in a mirror, but indirectly. But there is going to come a time when we're going to see face to face. But now I know in part, and then I'll know fully, just as I've been fully know, known. And you and I, we see things imperfectly right now, don't we? We see things partially. And Paul writes that one day, we're going to understand, one day, yes, we will see more clearly, but not today. Today we live in the now and the not yet. We live in the presence of the kingdom of God, but it isn't fully realized yet. And so today we have hope, um, but there are also days that we doubt and we struggle. And today we dream about the future, but we also get discouraged. And today we have questions as well as some answers. We see dimly. But Paul says, don't be discouraged because God says, my plan is going to be realized. I will accomplish what I desire. Our perspectives and comprehension are not the basis for our hope. If there's something you don't understand or don't comprehend, don't lose hope. Because that's not the basis for your hope. That's not the foundation for your future. But our foundation for hope now and in the future is the fact that God's going to accomplish what he desires. That's our hope. God will accomplish what he desires. And what does God desire? Isaiah 46, 13, God says, I'm bringing my deliverance now. It's not far away. I'm bringing my salvation now. It does not wait. Isn't that incredible? So that's what we want to agree with. Yes, God, bring what you desire. Bring your salvation now. And we need to be reminded of that, to lean into what God is doing, even if we don't understand it completely, because God's working even when we fail to comprehend it. And sometimes God's working at the point of our, of our lowest place, of our greatest discouragement. There's a story of... Uh, a shipwreck many years ago, and there was one survivor. He washed up on, on an island, uninhabited island. And he cried out to God to save him every day. And every day he scanned the horizon for a ship, for help, that never came. He found a way to kind of survive and live on the island. He built a rough hut, put a few possessions in it. But then one day after hunting for food, he returned to find his hut in flames, the smoke rolling up in the sky. And he thinks the worst that's happened, and he's just stung with grief, lost everything he had. That little bit of hope was gone. That night he goes to sleep, exhausted, not knowing what was going to happen. Early the next day, lo and behold, there's a ship that's coming. He sees it coming from, from miles out, and then it's approaching the island. It comes to the island and rescues him, and, and he asks the crew, how did you know I was here? And they said, we saw your smoke signal. Even that point when he thought all hope was lost, when he was at the lowest point in his life, was the point when God was bringing salvation. So, those places in your life where you feel discouraged, or you feel exhausted, or you feel like your life has gone up in flames, 
consider that maybe God's doing something amazing and God's bringing salvation because God's purposes transcend our purposes. All right, secondly, that's the first thing we see in Joshua 12. The second thing is God always keeps his promises. Someone once said that uh, you can't break God's promises by leaning on them. That's what Israel had been learning in Joshua. You know, remember back in Genesis so many years ago, Genesis 12, 7, the Lord appears to Abraham and he says, I'm going to give this land to your people. So Abram built an altar there to the Lord. And now that promise is being fulfilled in a concrete way. And Joshua 12, 7 says, These are the kings of the land whom Joshua and the Israelites defeated on the west side of the Jordan, from Baal Gad in the Lebanon Valley up to Seir. And these are the kings. And it just lists all these kings. The king of Jericho, one. The king of Ai, one. You know, it goes through this list. And Israel's being reminded of God's promises, things promised being fulfilled one by one, just as God said. And as Israel heard this refrain, it hit home that each one of these enemies had been defeated. In fact, the list goes down the line in, in sequence of defeat. And, and the one that you see in parentheses after each town likely refers to the leader of that town that was defeated. Can you help me out with, with something this morning? Let's just do a little call and response, okay? I'm gonna read the names of these kings and you say one after each name of the king, just like it says up there on the screen, okay? The king of Jericho. One. The king of Ai. One. The king of Jerusalem. One. The king of Hebron. One. You see, God wants to do this in your life as well. God wants to fulfill the things that he promised you and you're going to be able to look back on your life and see the victory that God's given you over your enemies. He wants to knock those down one by one. Okay, now let's do this again and let's bring it home to our own lives. What are those things in your own lives that you're struggling with that you want to be able to see uh, victory over? I'm going to read aloud uh, some enemies that we find in our own lives. And when I do that, I want you to say one. Okay, after each one, consider one that God's going to bring victory in that area of your life. All right, let's, let's all do this together. Depression, one. Insecurity, one. Comparison, one. Isolation, one. Unworthiness, one. Shame, one. Guilt, one. Past regrets, one. Blame, one, perfectionism, one, addictions, one. See, God wants to remove these enemies in your life. He wants to knock them down one by one. And what God's promised, he's going to do. And this is what Paul wrote about Abraham in Romans 4.20. And he said that Abraham did not waver in unbelief about the promises of God. But he was strengthened in faith giving glory to God. He was fully convinced that what God promised, he was able to do. And God always keeps his promises. That's the second thing we see here in Joshua 12. The last thing is that God's goodness is ever present. These verses in Joshua 12, 7 to 24, remind us that God is good and his goodness is always and ever present. H.L. Ellison writes that 
It would be unfair to suggest that the church is unwilling to thank God for all his many mercies, but on the whole, it's unwilling to indulge in detailed and specific things. If we were to train ourselves to recognize God's goodness act by act and detail by detail, many of us would come to think more highly both of God and of the church. Much of our despondency comes from failing to see how much God has really achieved. Psalms 105.1 says, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his accomplishments, recall the miraculous deeds he performed, his mighty acts and the judgments he decreed. You know, we talk about praying for specific things, right? We talk about asking God for specific things. We don't praying a prayer of, you know, God just bless my life in general and make everything okay. It's not really that fulfilling of a prayer, right? Because it's hard to know if, when there's a clear answer. I mean, is that prayer ever going to be answered? When is everything going to be okay? How do I measure that? Well, what if we ask God for something specific? You know, it's easier to integrate that into your life and my life, minute by minute, with the Lord. You're at work. You have an angry coworker. Lord, help me to know how to respond to this angry coworker. It's a specific prayer. Ask God for it. He's going to give you wisdom. You'll have an answer to your prayer. Lord, give me the words to say to my unbelieving parent. You know, because then you can go back and you can verify specifically. How did God answer that prayer? You close the loop on your prayer requests because prayers aren't meant to be platitudes and generalizations. Well, it's similar with our thanksgivings and praise to the Lord as well. They should be specific. God, thank you for helping me deal with that angry coworker, or thank you for giving me the words to say to my parent. Our thanksgiving should be as specific as our prayer. There's a story about an uh, old German pastor named Martin Rinkert. Back in the 17th century, this was a time when Germany was in the middle of war and, and famine. And during one especially oppressive period, Rinkert would conduct up to 50 funerals every day as the plague swept through the town, the Thirty Years' War wreaked its own terror on the people. Rinkert even buried members of his own family. But during those years of darkness and despair, when death and destruction greeted each new day, Pastor Rinkert wrote 66 different songs. One of them was the hymn, Now Thank We All Our God. As sorrow was all around him, he's burying his wife. He's doing 50 funerals a day. He writes, Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voice who wondrous things hath done in whom his world rejoices who from our mother's arms hath blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. So he demonstrated this valuable lesson for every one of us. The thankfulness doesn't have to wait for prosperity and peace. It's always a good time. It's always the right time to praise the Lord for the wondrous things he's done. I want us to put this into practice for a minute. Maybe in front of you, you got a pen or a pencil, paper, grab something, bulletin. And I want you to write down two things, just two, over your lifetime the greatest moments of faithfulness that God has shown you. Just think about that for a minute and write those two things down over your, over your entire life. Whatever stands out to you. Okay, now I want you to think of 
two things from this month, from this last month, September. Think of two things. How has God been faithful to you over the last 30 days specifically? Write it down. Two things. Okay. Now, for about three minutes, I want you to get in a group of a couple, four or five people. Just turn to some people near you and share whatever you feel comfortable sharing. Okay, you don't have to, you know, tell the deepest secrets of your soul. Whatever you feel comfortable sharing, share the Lord's faithfulness with somebody in your group. And just name, name, one, name one or two of those things on your list. So turn to some people next to you. You may have to turn around your pew and talk to somebody about what God's done, how he's been faithful to you in your life. Okay? Let's do that for a couple minutes. You come Thanks for joining us today for the latest news and encouraging words from Lighthouse. Rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and now Amazon Music. Just say Alexa, play Come Alive podcast. I'm Pastor Dave O, and remember, we come alive through the power of Jesus Christ. I'm going to catch you next time on Come Alive. Come Alive.